Good morning, everybody. Um, so we've been in a series that we are doing called Cultivate Life. We've been in it for several weeks now, and we've been focusing throughout the time in the series on mostly our identity in Christ as God gives it to us through the gospel, that we become God's children, his family, because of the work of Jesus, who is the Son of God given for us. We become disciples of Jesus who follow after him in every area of life. We're learning to do that, and we're teaching others to do the same thing as God empowers us to do. And we're missionaries. We're sent ones who are filled with the Spirit and sent into the world to show people what Jesus is like and to be able to speak words of life so that God would be glorified and people would come to know him. That's our new identity. And so we've been talking about that identity, and those concepts aren't new if you've been around our community for any number of years. We've been talking about them for several years now. That's who we are in Christ. That's the life that God cultivates in us as he does his work, and we receive that by faith. What we're going to do over the, the next half of the series is talk about how do we cultivate life? What, is, what does it look like to kind of churn up the soil of what God has put into our hearts already so that we can continue to grow by faith in what he's already done in us. And so in order to understand the way that we're going to do that, we're going to be talking about five habits as a church community that we, we think if we, all of us, participated in these five things, we would end up growing more and more to look like the identity that God has already placed in us by faith. Does that make sense? Before we get there, though, and I, just to highlight the, the, the reason why these um, habits are so critical to our life as a community, I want to go back and just think about the book that we shared last week. How many of you are here for The Curious Garden? There are quite a few. How many of you watched it online in the, in the week between then and now? Nobody. Or, Oh yeah, how many of you ordered it and you're now like, I gotta read this thing more and study it because it's now our Bible. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it does illustrate kind of what it looks like to, to participate with Jesus in the world. And we used that last week to talk about our cultivate communities being very similar expressions of that. What I wanna just, I wanna recall your memory on something is that one of the, the key pieces of that story, of Liam's story, is that when it begins, Liam does not think he's a gardener, right? He's just a kid splashing through puddles in his neighborhood on a rainy day, and lo and behold, he discovers a dying garden, and he doesn't feel equipped to do what he's presented with when he stumbles upon this garden. He just, he simply says, I'm going to help. And one of the things that you realize about Liam's story is that as he goes along in his journey, he begins to practice some new habits, right? And if you remember some of those habits, he explored new places, he visited the garden daily, he sang to the garden, you remember that part? He watered it. And, and even when he wasn't with the garden, he studied what it meant to be a gardener and how, better gardening techniques, All of those things were part of his habits. And what happened to Liam as he participated in those habits and practices? What what transformation occurred in him? Do you remember? He went from not thinking that he was a gardener. And what happened to him over the course of the story? He became one. 
Yeah, he started to, it even used that terminology. He started to feel like a real gardener. Now, it wasn't just a feeling, though. Because what happens by the end of the story? Did I see your hand up there? Okay. What happened by the end of the story? What's Liam doing at the end? Yeah, he's, guard, he's, he's now a, a master gardener who is teaching others how to garden. So he begins the story going, I don't know how to garden. I've never considered myself a gardener. By the end of the story, he's raising his kids now to be expert gardeners. He's multiplying himself in the life of other people. And so just think about our story for a second. The fact that we have become something new through Christ. We are now God's family. We are now Jesus' disciples. We are now missionaries of the Holy Spirit as He comes and fills us and empowers us. All those things are a new identity based on what God has done to us. And that's true at the moment you come to faith in Jesus. That's why we say, like, when you get baptized, you're not declaring how good you are at those three identities. You're simply declaring that you were in need and God made you a new creation. And when you go into the water, you go, my old life is now dead and I come up out of the water in a new baptismal reality and now I get the opportunity to live out what God has already made true of me. Right? So, But here's the thing. This is the reality for all of us. Nobody feels like they're competent at doing those things. Nobody. Nobody feels like they have it all together. And you may look around the room and you may go, well, they've definitely got it all together, but I don't have it together. And they're thinking probably the same thing about you. Because all of us start out like Liam did. We don't feel like we're gardeners. And so it's through the practice of living a new way of life that Liam goes from not feeling like he's a gardener to now realizing he is to then being able to teach others how to do what he's realized he's able to do. And so habits are critical to doing that because sometimes you can think your way into a new way of living, but sometimes you have to live your way into a new way of thinking. I'll say that again. Sometimes you can think your way into a new way of living. Sometimes God convicts you and you believe it and you start to live out of that belief and that's his work and it can happen. I've seen it happen in you. I've seen it happen all the time. But sometimes we need to practice a new way of life and by participating in a new way of life, we end up renewing our mind into a new way of thinking. So if you change your habits, you tend to believe what God has now made true of you. And so when we think about um, the habits that we want to participate in, these things are not rules and regulations. I want to stress that from the very beginning. These aren't like cultivates like big five rules and if you check the box on all of them, you're a good cultivator and we'll come around and mark your sheet and give you a sticker. It's, this, is not, this is not homework. Okay? These are habits. These are not ways of being a good Christian. God has already made you a good person through Christ. You weren't one. Jesus died so that you could be found in Him and now you're perfect in Christ. That work is done. You do nothing to earn God's favor. Am I clear enough on that? We have to be clear on that because all of us go through this thing where we our doing becomes our being. We already talked about that in the series. I don't want to go back there. But habits allow us to practice a new way of life so that eventually we learn how to live in freedom in what's already been given to us. 
It's like when your mom and dad gives you a car when you were 14, 15, 16, and you have no idea how to drive it. And your parents go, in order for you to know how to drive this, you need to go to school. You need to practice some new habits. And someone's going to sit in the car with you and tell you when to brake and when to turn and how to put on your turn signal and all the things that you need to know how to do. And at first, it feels very constricting. At first, you're like, I would drive a car really well if you weren't telling me all the stuff that I need to do, right? Right? If you just get out of the car and stop telling me when to brake and when to all these things, then I'd be great at it. But here's the thing. You aren't great at it, not to begin with. You need to think through a new pattern of how to do it. But here's the thing. Eventually, you become competent at driving a car, so much so that you don't need to think about when to put the brake on. You don't need to think about when to put the turn signal on. You don't need to think about, okay, am I in neutral or in drive? Now, sometimes you get it wrong and you put your foot on the gas and it just revs because you're not in drive. You go, oh, yeah, i got to go back to the rules or the, the, my habits again. But the point is that you become someone who can drive freely. You receive the, the new life of having that independence, right? And it works the same way with habits. So the point is not to check the box on each. The point is to become the kind of person that embodies what the habit leads you to do and to become. So, for instance, we're going to talk about the habit of eating. How many of you like eating? We're going to talk about it in terms of eating with three people a week, at least one of those people who's not part of our church family. What if you just... You had three meals a week with other people, but one of those was with somebody that either isn't part of our church family or doesn't know Jesus. What might happen to you over time if that was your habit? You would become a very hospitable person, wouldn't you? If you practiced that continually on a weekly basis and had people over to the dinner table all the time, you would grow in your hospitality. All of a sudden, you wouldn't have to think about, oh, who's the person I need to invite this week? It would just happen because you'd be that new person. So that's the way that these things work. So what are our five habits? What are the habits that we're going to talk about? Well, turns out our leadership team loves acronyms. (laughs) Isn't that right? They just love acronyms. They want to make things simple and transferable, and that's a good thing. So we, at our retreat last weekend... We uh, spent an enormous amount of time thinking and praying through and writing in the sand, literally in the sand, on the beach. It was a hor- you know, just taxing exercise. I mean, just be thankful you weren't there. I mean, <laughs> the weather was perfect. By the- anyway, writing in the sand, trying to figure out a way to encapsulate the five things that we want to be transferable habits in our community. And so we came up with this acronym. Actually, John did. He's the one that likes acronyms. <laughs> Andrew is a fan too, yeah, yeah. So here's the acronym. It's WATER. So think, I mean, it tends to work with our identity, right, as a church. So who are we? What, what, is, what are the gospel roots? What are the, the fruit that we want to see on the tree of our community in our life? Our identity in Christ, right? We want to grow as a family. We want to grow as disciples. We want to grow as missionaries. How do you do that? Well, you've got to water the plant. So this is the acronym, is WATER. So these are the five things. Word, that's the one we're going to cover today. Action, 
taking action to bless at least three people a week in word, deed, gift, or prayer. Time. Time spent with the Holy Spirit so that you can listen to what He's telling you. Eat. Eating with three people a week. At least one of those people is not part of our family. And reflect. Taking moments of time to reflect on what God is teaching you and how He's working through you as a family of missionary disciples. Those five things. We're going to take the next five weeks to unpack each of those five. We're going to highlight one every week. Now, here's the, here's the point. This is our desire. Is that we would love for these five habits to get into the stream of our church family so that they become normative for everyday life in our community. That we would grow and become people that are constantly just listening to the Spirit, eating with people that are far from Jesus, reflecting on the ways that God is using us, digging deep into His Word and, and, and learning from Jesus throughout our daily life. And that we would become experts, just like Liam, that we would be experts at these five things. They'd be so ingrained in our lifestyle so that we would be able to lead others to freedom in Jesus as they follow along with us. Now, guess what? These are five things that absolutely anybody can participate in, including your kids. How old was Liam when he started practicing new habits? He's pretty young, right? He's just a boy. And he became a gardener. And now, this is the same thing that's true for your family. Your kids can start to participate in these five ways in expressions that are appropriate for each of them at their stage of life. And we believe that this is so important that this morning, John is teaching the junior youth these very same things, these very same five. They're going to understand what it means to walk out these five things at their level. Same thing with the youth. And so we we want this to be a, a whole family participation event for every stage and every lifestyle. And, and here's the thing. Wouldn't it be great if you were talking about these things as a family and your son or your daughter said, hey, I noticed that somebody was really down at school and so I, I was thinking about the, our habit of action and I decided to just draw them a little picture of a heart and say, I love you and Jesus loves you too and I gave it to them. It really made a difference in their day. They're listening to the Holy Spirit if they're participating in those things. And so we want to encourage that. We want to fan the flames of that as a family and give opportunities for people to express what God is doing as we participate with him in these five. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, here's the only requirement. I already said that you can be a child or an adult or anywhere in between. There's no requirement there. Do you know what the one requirement is? There's only one. You've got to slow down. You have to slow down. We're way too busy. The reason that we don't spend time listening to God's word is because we don't create the margin to do so. The reason we don't have ears to hear the spirit, even though he so desperately wants to speak to his children, is because we don't give him the space to do it. We've got to slow down. Which means we have to create space somewhere. We've got to create margin somehow. And that, that may be different for each of you and what that looks like. That may be less time with the TV in the evenings. It may be less 
time spent on your phone or your tablet. Maybe that you need to wake up a little bit earlier. Maybe that you need to redeem your car ride and use it to listen to an audio Bible so that you can participate in the Word or listen to the Spirit. It may be that you use the family dinner table as an opportunity to reflect and you start to ask some of those questions around the dinner table and redeem that time. I don't know what it'll look like for you, but here's the thing. I want to help you in that. So let's have a conversation as we go along with these five weeks to say, how are we going to build this in? This should not feel like additional activity. This should look like life-giving margin. And all of us have to create it in order to experience it. Does that make sense? Okay. So one of the ways that we're encouraging everybody to do this is, and we'll explain this as we go along, is that in our Cultivate communities, we're going to try to do something called the Five Habits Check-In. And this is something I want to encourage all of our community groups to do, is that take five or ten minutes of space within your weekly meeting every single time that you get together and just do a check-in with the five and see if there are any stories of how God is revealing revealing himself to you as you participate in those things. And let kids participate as well if they're part of your groups. Give them opportunity as well. Because here's the thing, if we tell those stories each and every week, those things become the things that we celebrate and champion. And, and when we see them happening, we celebrate them and we lift them up and we go, yeah, God, keep doing it. And, and hopefully what will happen is that we can start to take some of those stories that start to pop up in our groups and we'll share them on Sunday morning. It would be great if every single week that we were together, we had a time of testimony where we said, hey, this is the five this week so-and-so is going to share on the Word and what they're experiencing. We'd love for that to be part of our family, right? Because here, would we feel like more of a family of disciples on mission if that were true, if we heard those stories bubbling up to the surface every single week? I sure would. I sure would. So, where do we begin? Um, you need to, you don't need to, but I would like you to, um, we can't get somewhere if we don't know where we're at already. Is that true? So if we want to shoot for something, we need to know where we stand already so that we can gauge a little bit of how we're going to grow together over the next course of time. We're going to be talking about this throughout, not just the rest of this year, but all of 2018 as well. So in order to see where we're at, we created something called the Five Habits Survey. And we threw it on our website. How many of you have done it already? I know there are like 13 of you out there. The rest of us haven't. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to encourage you to do this often, but I will today. Pull out your phones. <laughs> Open up your web browser and go to cultivatenj.com slash survey. Naomi told me I had to do this in the gathering, otherwise no one would do it. So <laughs> this is her idea. I think it's a good one, though. I think it's a good one. CultivateNJ.com slash survey. You should see a link that says the Five Habits Survey. Click on that. There are just five questions. Yeah, you might have to use your own data plan for it. It's not much data, I promise. So there are just five questions. It's gauging your competency in each of those five areas with four answers. Either this is not a habit, 
This is a sporadic habit. This is a, a active habit. Or this is an active habit and I'm teaching others how to do it. Those are the four levels. So just whatever's the most honest answer, please don't try to like bump up your score. <laughs> if it's not a habit, just, I mean, you're covered by the blood of Christ. You don't have to be better than you are. Jesus has done it for you. Just be who you are, okay? All right, so as you're doing that, we're going to keep going. The habit that we're going to talk about today is called the habit of the word. And this is the way that we're putting it. That if the word meaning the, the, the word of Jesus is a habit in our life, then we would spend at least one period of every week learning from Jesus through his word, both individually and in community. I'm noticing this is the one that everybody rated highest on, by the way. The habit of the word. Spend at least one period of every week learning from Jesus through his word, both individually and community. Now, Let's, yeah. Sure. (laughs) Take that however you like. (laughs) So why do you think this habit would be important to make part of our, the rhythm of our everyday week, if not every day? Why is this critical? Why would we include this one? Why would we start here? What do you think? It seems obvious, right? It's the how-to book. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to know what it means to be a gardener, you've got to follow the gardener. In order to understand the gardener, you have to read about his life. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the yeah, one of the things the Bible says is the heart is deceitful above all else. That we should guard our hearts, which means to inspect what's coming out of it and not just to take it as what God wants us to hear or know or do. We need correction. We need a readjustment. We need a realignment. Especially when we're already getting messages yeah. all day yep. from whatever. Yep. We're receiving words already. Yeah, absolutely. So we need the word, Jesus' word, to replace the other words that are, are coming into our lives constantly, every single day. So if we're not countering those things with the word, then we are left to listening to the other words that all of us receive. And you might think, I'm stronger than that. I understand that. Uh, you're being influenced far more than you realize. Um, so and not only that, but the fact that the way that God chooses to reveal himself most frequently is through his word, is through the Bible. Um, so that means as God's redeemed people, if we're going to know um, what that looks like to live that kind of life and to, to create intimacy with him, we need to be active listeners to what God is saying to us through his word. It's got to be a, a weekly, if not daily, habit for, for all of us. So how do we actually do that? How do we grow in, in terms of our daily, the daily basis of being able to hear what God is saying specifically to you? 
Um, there's a great passage that gives us a bit of a paradigm for how to do that, and it's found in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. And in it, Paul is instructing Timothy, and he says this, All Scripture is God-breathed. It's, it's inspired word. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So did you hear that? God breathes his word into your life through his scriptures so that you would be equipped to live the kind of life he died to, to enable you to live. He's so committed to you living a different quality of life under his care and protection, empowered by his spirit, that he literally breathed words of life out into something that was collected into a book so that you could read it and be trained for that specific work. Isn't that good news? I mean, how often do you walk through life and you feel ill-equipped for everything that seems to be thrown at you? Wouldn't it be awesome if you felt more equipped for all of those experiences? All of those opportunities? Paul is saying this is the way that you do it. This is the way all of us do it. And there are four elements of that. So there are teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness. And so the way that we put those together is under kind of three headlines or categories. This is another way to think about it. That every time you approach the word, you should expect Jesus to do three things. One is to teach your head or your mind. Two is to rebuke and correct your heart. And three is to train your hands to live out what he tells you to do. Those three things. Teach our minds or our heads Rebuke and correct our hearts and train our hands to live it out. By the way, in your um, bulletins this morning is a Bible kind of companion guide. And it walks you through those things. So if you're like, I'm a terrible note taker, all of this is washing over me, you've got it already, okay? So don't feel like you need to frantically take notes. You can participate and then take this home and hopefully it'll make sense, okay? So teach, let's, let's start with, with teaching our heads. Um, teaching our heads looks a little bit like this. We should be asking four key questions whenever we come to, to God's Word. Four key questions. We use these questions over and over again. They're pretty transferable. You can use them for any passage. But it works this way. Question number one, God, what does this teach me first about you and your character? In other words, God, who are you? And this is what I encourage you. Every time you open up the Word, make it a prayer time. Don't just let it be words on a page. This is God's breathed out word for you. So make it a prayer. God, show me who you are. Who are you? I want to know. I want to understand. Second, what are you doing? Or what are you saying in this particular passage? How does this show me what you're like? What are you doing here? Three, what does this say, God, about who I am? about my identity. And then four, if I believed this word, then how would I live? Everybody got those? Who is God? What is he doing? Who am I? What would I do if I believed it? Now, on that fourth one, let me just mention, sometimes the answer is going to be really obvious to you. Sometimes it's going to say, Forgive as I've forgiven you. 
Now, we shouldn't take a, a passage like that and go, maybe God's telling me to do something else today. <laughs> no, if it's calling you to forgive, you should think through the inventory of your life and go, okay, is there anybody I'm in unforgiveness with? So sometimes it'll be really clear. Sometimes it won't. It'll be less clear. And you'll have to ask him to reveal it to you. I was, just to share a relevant, uh, recent example of my life, um, I was reading through the scriptures just this past week. I was going through First Chronicles 27, everyone's favorite verses, right? And um, I was reading about the census that David did towards the end of his life. And at first pass, you think, what in the world does a census in the nation of Israel have to do with my life, right? I mean, it seems so disconnected. But God really rebukes him for that census. He wasn't okay with the fact that David did it. And one of the things that he says to David in First Chronicles 27 is, is that I promise to give you, inha- um, what does he say, descendants as, as numerous as the stars in the sky. It's the same thing that he said to, to Abraham all the way back in Genesis. And so the reason that God was angry is because David wasn't trusting that God was going to continue to multiply his descendants. He had gotten his eyes off what God had called him to do, which was to lead the nation and be a shepherd for God's people. And and instead, he was going around counting numbers to see how powerful of a nation he was so that he wouldn't get conquered by other people. He got his eyes off of the the true king, which is God, and he put it on his circumstances and and what he could control in order to make him more safe. Now, does that sound like me? Yeah, that does. So I feel like God was calling me to rest in him. He was showing me that I wasn't trusting in him for the future, that I had my eyes on the wrong thing, that he wanted me to get back to what he's called me to do, which is to make disciples and care for people and lead the lost to him. Which leads us into the second portion of it, which is to go from not just what does it say to our minds, but how does it rebuke and correct our hearts? What is it actually saying about us, not just about it? And sometimes we don't make that leap. We just read the Bible and we go, yep, I read it, check, and we go on. Without realizing that there's something that God wants to say to our hearts, not just our minds. He wants to correct the way that we live, not just what we think. And so we should ask, or take a moment after we've read and say, God, what is it, when I'm looking at this word, please show me a place where I'm not living by faith where I'm not trusting you, where I'm not believing what you say is true of me in Christ. Somewhere where I I need to be corrected or, or even rebuked so that I could live on a different path. Now here's the thing. We don't like to do that because we don't got, want God to show us the mirror of our own life. Right? We have a big problem with that. We'd like to read passages and when it says forgive, we just go, oh yeah, my cousin, she has a terrible time forgiving anybody. It's not God's word for them. They're not sitting at the table reading the word. It's his word for you. Now, Now, here's the good news of that. God doesn't show you things to condemn you because you're his son. You're his daughter. We've already established that. So anything that he does show you, the Bible says, is for your discipline because God disciplines those he loves because he wants them to grow up in what it looks like to trust him in every area of life. And there are areas of your heart and mind today that are not yet submitted to Jesus. 
And God knows that that's killing us on the inside, and He wants to rescue us from that cancer before it takes us out completely. And so that won't happen unless you actually ask God to reveal areas of your heart where you need change. And here's the thing I've found. When you pray that prayer, when you say, God, just show me where I need to see it, He loves to answer it. He loves to answer it. Why? Because you're His daughter, you're His son, and He wants you to grow. He's just waiting like a good dad going, just... Ask me where I can come in and fill you where you're not already full. That should be good news, right? We should be the kind of people that love correction because it leads us to the next stage. It leads us to training our hands for the things that God is calling us to do. And so this is the response to God's word. It's saying, I want to obey what you've revealed to me through your word. I want to live this out in a new way. I want, to, I want to practice whatever you're calling me to do. And here's the thing I would encourage you to do. As you're doing this practice of getting into the word, write down the things that he's showing you and write down the things you think he's calling you to. So if it is an area of forgiveness, put forgiveness and then write the name of the person that you need to forgive. If it's being generous, think of who needs your generosity and then write it down so that the next time you open your Bible and you open your journal, you go, oh yeah, I forgot I was supposed to do that. I better do that. Now why is that important? Because the Bible says that we are prone to reading it and forgetting who we are. And this is what I've found from my own experience in in life kind of in this process of reading the Word. The less I obey it, the less I have ears to hear what God wants to say. So if I continue to read, continue to read, continue to read, God shows me what I should do, but I never actually do it, I find that I have a harder time listening to his voice than when I even began. Now, we don't want that, right? We want people that, that live out what God is calling us to do. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. You'll live in the ways that I'm calling you to live. So the, the good news is the more that we choose to obey it, the more we hear the voice of our shepherd. I, I don't know about you, but I desperately want that. I want to know his voice. I want to know what he's like. I want to know what he's calling me to. I want his guidance and his presence every single day. I don't want a day going by without being able to hear from my shepherd. I'm a I'm a sheep. You remember we did that? Gino did that message back in the summer. I'm just a dumb sheep. I need correction. I need to be led by the hand. If I close my ears to it, I should expect that I, that I, I won't hear. But if I open my heart to it, God is so gracious and so loving and so present to lead us. So that's the process. When we go into God's word, God, teach my mind, rebuke and correct my heart, train my hands to live it out. All right, enough of me talking. Do you want to do it? you want to try it? Okay. Um, So we are, to encourage us to do this as a community, we're actually going to put out a word plan for 2018. We have a reading plan that goes through the New Testament and the Psalms through the course of 2018. And so one of the best ways, you know, because 
you probably have this experience. You get to a point where you're like, I just don't know what to read. You know, so I open my Bible and I'm like, well, where do I start? Do I start at the beginning? Do I start halfway? Do I start at the Gospels? I feel like I've kind of read that one already, but maybe it's been a little while. And we have this confusion, and because we have this confusion, we never get started to begin with. So he said, what if we have a plan where all of us are reading the same thing throughout the year? Now, it's not one of these plans where it's like, if you skip a day, you're going to be like 12 weeks behind all of a sudden. It's a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty um, low bar, a low threshold in terms of, of, of a reading plan. But we're going to do a reading plan, and the place that we're going to start is in Mark. Mark chapter 1. So, I thought, to help you along the way, we will go ahead and do the first one. Mark chapter 1. Verses 1 through 8. We're going to look at that together. We're going to practice the four key questions so that you feel equipped when you go to do it this week. You'll have some some training under your belt so that you can, when you open your Bible tomorrow morning or whatever time this week, you can just do the same thing that we've done together, okay? We'll show you how to do it, and then you can do it. So I haven't done any studying on this passage, by the way. So I'm not, like, you know, cheating. There's nothing up my sleeve, Yeah, I have short sleeves on today. We're just going to read it together, we're going to ask the four key questions, and we're going to ask God to speak to us, okay? So let's do that now. Holy Spirit, we need you. Please come. Thank you that this is your inspired word. You want to train us. You want to correct us. You want our minds to be open and our hearts to be healed through your word. Please come and do that right now. We need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 1. This is what it says. In the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send... Oh, wait. I should prime you with this. Just be thinking about those four questions. Who is God? What do we see him doing? Who are we? What would we do? Everybody got that? You're still with me? Nod, sort of... Yeah. Who is God? It's in, the, it's in this guide. Under our practice... Teaching our minds. It's those. Yeah. Aaron's going to be my scribe. Thank you. You don't have to write the questions. You just write the answers. Um, <laughs> okay. We're together. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right, let's spitball this. Okay, question one. What do we learn about God? Who is God? 
He's the Messiah. Yes. Or at least reference there. What's the Messiah mean? Okay, so he's coming to save us. So that would be question two. What else? What else do we learn about God or about Jesus? Yep. So he, he, that would be number two. Some of these categories will overlap. It's just a way to give you some handles to think about it. So he makes a way. He prepares a way for what he wants to do in us. What else? He sends us help. What does that say about who he is? He's a caring father. Great. He's a communicator. Yeah. Great. He's the son of God. He keeps his promises. Yeah, that... Isaiah came 700 years before Jesus. And Jesus came and said, I will, I will fulfill that prophecy before I'm even born. It's pretty good. What else do we learn about him? He's worthy. Worthy of what? <laughs> He's worthy of everything. He's holy. John says, I'm not even qualified to untie his sandals. There's a reverence. Like, he is exalted and high up, and yet he's near at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so in terms of our identity, who we are, um, we can make ourselves ready. For, for him to appear. By doing what? Yeah. But people are also getting prepared, right? Because what are they doing? They're getting baptized. So they're for the, for the forgiveness of their sins. So there's a realization that they're sinful people in need of saving. So in terms of what we would do if we understood that, we would be baptized if we haven't already. If we understand that God is holy and near, that he makes a way and has come to help and save us through Jesus, we would be baptized. But not just... Yeah, go ahead. Not We would listen. Yep. Yeah, so that would be four. Yep. <laughs> You can help him out. All right, what what else is true of like in terms of who we are? Number three. Right. So it implies we're on the wrong path. Right? And Yeah, we're f- full of crookedness. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> in need of correcting. We're valuable. Yeah, how do you see that in the story? Yep. Like we might not be 
Yeah, we're precious in his eyes. Yep. We're his children. Yeah, we're, the, we're saved ones. Not just in need of saving, but having received salvation, we are now the saved ones. We're in need of forgiveness, yeah. So we're children in need of forgiveness because we make mistakes and we run away from our dad. Yeah, we, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, how about number four? If all of this is true, what would we do? In light of who God is, what he's done, and who we are, what would we do? What changes would we need to make or see? Increased trust for our dad. So like rest in his plans, rest in his, his you know, the technical term would be sovereignty or, yep. Spread his word. Yeah, this is good news, right? This is the beginning of the good news and people are coming in throngs to get themselves ready to receive this good news. If we believe it, we'll share it, Right? Yeah, so he's powerful, and then we would rest in his power, right? We would long for his power. Yeah, great, yeah. So boldness. Yeah, humility. He's really humble, isn't he? I mean, he he comes on the scene... And like people are coming out in droves to get baptized by him. He's got a huge following at this point. And, and what does he do with that following? He points to the one who, who is to come. He says, no, it's not about me. My life is about him. There's a great humility. Yeah, so we're, we're in Christ, meaning our identity is now wrapped up in him. So when God looks at us, he sees the perfect work of his son, not our lives. But he's also in us through his Holy Spirit. And so we get a deposit of heaven in our hearts to live a new life, to be bold and humble, to trust and listen. So when we're not doing those things, who do we look to? We don't try harder. We're baptized with the Holy Spirit. We have a better, we, we have someone better in our hearts to live out this life of obedience. So we ask him for help and we say, I need to be filled by you again. Yeah, right. I got it. I got it from now on. I'm good, Jesus. Yeah, waiting. The fact that Isaiah came 700 years before his words were fulfilled means that God's people often have to wait. And so we need to hear that because we want things now. And God says, no, I'm, I'm unfolding a plan. It's going to be better in the end for you. But you can wait on me. All right, cool. That's a pretty good list, right? Eight verses. You guys did amazing. Give yourselves a hand. All right. Um, 
How many of you feel like there's something within this that God spoke to you? An area where you feel like, yeah, I don't believe that by faith. I don't live that out in my everyday life. I need correction. I need a rebuke. You felt like a little, ooh, like everything was fine until someone wrote that, like rest, and you were like, oh. (laughs) I was good until you said that. Write that down. Commit it to memory. What is that thing that you, that God is revealing to you that could change in this week? And now, don't share that, but um, the third part, train your hands. What, what change do you think could need to happen this week in your life in order to listen and obey what you heard? Just briefly. What would it look like? Even if you're not convinced that it's the voice of God, but if you obeyed it, you would experience His presence. What would you do? Yeah. Time and in, in margin. Okay. So I so that would look like I need to create margin this week in order to obey what I heard. Okay. What else? Listen. So spending time listening to God so that you can hear what he's instructing you to do. Okay, what else? Pray? Okay. Yeah, so creating more space for prayer this week. Yeah, so what's important there, I mean, if, if you're coming to realize that you're not the center of your universe, that you need to maybe take more of a posture like John the Baptist where you say, I'm not worthy, but I, I, I get to prepare the way for one who is then take captive all those times when you don't do that. Write down each of those moments that you've noticed that you did, where you maybe did the alternative last week and say, what would it look like for me to redeem each and every one of those moments and to live them as though he were the center and not me? Be specific. Because the more specific you are, the more obedient you'll be, the more praise you'll get to give to Jesus when he does the work through your obedience. And you'll come back here and you'll be like, I don't know how he did it, but he did it. It was amazing. I saw change. It was hard, but I listened, I obeyed, I tried to wait on him and rest in him, to love him over myself, and he was faithful. Now, do you see how this could revolutionize your week if you did this every day? It'd be pretty... I mean, we'd be transformed people if we had this kind of encounter with God every time that we open His Word. Now here, I want to give a caveat because sometimes we will open His Word, we will participate in the habit, and the heavens don't open up and declare the glory of the Lord. (laughs) Okay? So don't come back and get disappointed and be like, Jay told me I was going to have this supernatural experience every time. And it was like angels singing and went, oh, you know, every time it opened. I was talking to Mandy about that this week and she goes, sometimes that's not my experience. But then she shared with me a story that I thought was incredible. I want to share it with you to end. She said this, I've been reading through the book of Exodus and sometimes I read through it and I go, what in the world was that about? I don't understand what you're saying to me. I don't understand what I should do with it. But whatever it is, God, just reveal it to me. And you know what she's been noticing? In some of their conversations with our older son, Caleb, 
She has used the life of Moses in the book of Exodus to talk about sin and redemption all the time, like every night when they go to bed. She's just, all those stories are bubbling to the surface in our heart and she's seeing ways to apply it to things that he's struggling with so that she can help him through it. She goes, I have no idea how I would have had these conversations if it weren't for me being in the habit of reading my word. So it may not happen in the moment. You may not get that aha, but I'm, I'm convinced that God will deposit something in you that he wants to use later. Are you convinced of that? It's a good thing. All right. Um, like I said, next year we're going to be uh, doing a, a, a word kind of reading plan where we're going to go through the New Testament and the Psalms together. Uh, to get you started this week, I've given you the first week of that reading plan as a preview. So it's at the bottom of the note section on your bulletin. So you can look through and see it's five chapters of Mark and two chapters of Psalms. And here's what I would just encourage you. This week, when you're together with your Cultivate community, when you're together with your family, just ask this question of each other. How did you learn from Jesus as you practiced the habit of word this week? And see what God's doing. I'm convinced that he's going to do amazing things. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning for the inspired word of life that you've given to us to... to teach us, to correct and rebuke us, to train us to live new lives. What a gift. God, there are people all around the world, brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters of God, who have no access to your word. They don't have it sitting on a shelf because they can't afford it or they live in a place in the world where they, they are persecuted if they own one. And we have them everywhere. And we don't come to you for the words of life. God, thank you that even though we walk away constantly and we don't listen to you, you have already forgiven us in Christ. Gosh, what a gift. The fact that we can even stand here as people that just have access to your word but don't read it and yet you forgive us because of the blood of Jesus and you want to empower us anew today. Holy Spirit, come make this a habit in our hearts and our life so that we would grow into people that are just saturated with your word. God, we need it, and the, and the people around us who don't know you need the words of life, and the only way they're going to get it is if they hear it through us. We need you, Holy Spirit. So we ask that you'd come and do this work today, this week, and as we move forward. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.